Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Unleashed. We are going all in on politics the next few weeks. Truth, lies, and politics. Are you ready? This is going to be fun. Believe it or not, two decades ago, the Republicans had about the same power as Democrats do in Colorado right now. With the Democrats winning every statewide race and a new congressional seat and getting more seats in both sides of the legislature last year. Not good. It's interesting to note in the 2002 election, Republicans did the same thing to Democrats in Colorado. Two decades back, things were directly flip-flopped from how they are now. It's time to do a deep dive into how Colorado actually flipped the details and how it slipped into decay. I mean, look around. We have skyrocketing crime. We're a haven for drug use. We're a trans-tourism state, and we have the most extreme abortion laws in the country. We have record high teen suicide and drug addiction rates for kids. And 60% of our children are not able to read, write, or do math at grade level. Our roads are a mess. Ask me, I just traveled up to the mountains on I-70. Healthcare costs are rising rapidly, and taxes and regulations are driving businesses away. It's certainly not the Colorado we all grew up with, the wild, wild west, a free state. We've got to be real in order to fix this stuff, and we've got to look at what the problems are in politics. And here's a problem. The same consultants and political class players on both sides have run Colorado for two decades. It's been a battle. For the Republicans, it's a previous governor running a group of longtime donors with a billionaire's support, along with the establishment D.C.-led GOP consulting firm 76 Group that has run most ballot initiatives on our side, and the majority of the candidate campaigns in the GOP the last decade, including most of the 2022 statewide races that we lost, not mine. For the Democrats, it's current Governor Jared Polis and his blueprint billionaires Tim Gill, Pat Stryker, and Rutt Bridges, along with advisor Ted Trimpa, not to mention a whole web of dark money groups like Progress Now and paid-for media shills. Many of you have heard of the blueprint. The four liberal Democrats plan to take over Colorado launched back in the early 2000s. I've mentioned it a couple times on the show so far, but I think it's important to do a series of episodes in the coming weeks about this for a couple reasons. First, they have been so wildly successful at painting us blue here in Colorado, quickly, relatively speaking, that now they want to do the same to other states. And Jared Polis is considering a run for president, which would be the cherry on top. Other purple and red states need a wake-up call now. They need to understand how it was done here so we can stop it from happening there. Second, we need to stop Jared Polis from having any chance of being president. He's as far left as they come, parading as a libertarian freedom lover. He's not. He's actually a globalist named a global young leader by the World Economic Forum, a group of elites that want a one-world order, the opposite of what America was founded on. Don't underestimate what money and power can do. He's got both and will use them to take his blueprint experiment to the rest of America with the help of his globalist friends. We're going to start this series off by getting to know him, Jared Polis, so we can understand his motivations, how he operates, and how we can stop him. 
Next week, we'll dig into the blueprint and how the Democrats do their dirty work, how all the networks of nonprofits work. The following week, we'll take a look at the Republican side at our own. So let's go ahead and dive into week one. Jared Polis has been making waves in the state's political circles, sparking debates and raising eyebrows for two decades. Known for his wealth, his unconventional style, he was listed as one of the worst dressed, no, the worst dresser in Congress when he was there, and his ambitious goals, Polis has drawn both admiration and criticism. This episode delves into the complex persona of Jared from his rise as a tech entrepreneur to his current role as the leader of a state that is headed in the wrong direction. Polis was born Jared Schutz on May 12, 1975 in Boulder, Colorado. He grew up in La Jolla, California, though, where he attended his exclusive private school, La Jolla Country Day, and he graduated at age 16. His parents, Steve and Susan Schutz, had stumbled into big money as their greeting card company, Blue Mountain Arts, got some traction. They went on to sue Hallmark Cards for $50 million in the mid-80s and settled for a very large amount. Susan Schutz said, we bought the place in California mainly because Stephen and I were getting pretty well known and we don't like to be known. I feel bad for them now. They're pretty well known. Not sure a lot of people in Colorado like what their son has done here. After high school in the summer of 1992, Jared went to Russia right after the collapse of the Soviet Union and he traded privatization vouchers on the Russian Commodities Exchange, making money off of a scandalous tool that wrecked Russia's economy and gave the KGB leverage there. He then attended college at Princeton University with the aim to finish as quickly as possible so he could go right into politics. He actually started his political career before he finished college. At age 19, he ran for student body president. His campaign platform included upending the exclusive click at the school, whatever that means. He lost in a landslide to a guy that later became a New York congressional candidate and federal prosecutor. Interesting fact, in the fall of his senior year, he helped run the world's first online election at Princeton. That's a bit creepy, considering how big of a deal technology is in elections now, as well as his role in changing election law and procedures in Colorado to make it so much easier to do digital elections. But back to his path in politics. In 1996, he made a fortune by selling an internet service company in the dot-com boom of the late 1990s. Then he helped his parents sell their e-card site for $780 million. He netted $160 million at just 24 years of age in that transaction with his parents alone. Two years later, the company that bought it quickly sold it off for $30 million and then went bankrupt. Polis then went on to start and sell proflowers.com for several hundred million dollars and used his personal fortune to buy his way onto the Colorado State Board of Education, his first election in politics. Politico called his campaign at the time a clumsy display of naked ambition, uncouth even by Washington standards. He ended up beating his Republican opponent, incumbent Ben Alexander, who spent $11,000 to his $1 million by just 90 votes in a recount. This election was one of the closest in Colorado's history. Alexander said that when Polis was slightly ahead, but with the final official tally still pending, Polis called him to say he'd be declaring victory. Ben Alexander said, okay, but you might want to be careful before there's an official count. There was a bit of arrogance on that side, like I'm ahead and I'm just going to say I won before it's over. Those are Alexander's words. 
Three weeks after the election, the recount had concluded and state officials announced Hollis had won by only 90 votes. He'd spent $1.56 for every vote he won. Alexander had spent one penny per vote. On the night of the election last fall in the governor's race, it was bizarre how quickly Polis took the stage for his acceptance speech. He rushed up within 15 minutes of the first votes coming in. And during his speech, he even gave a bizarre shout out to Danielle Neuschwager, the third party candidates who got less than 1% of the vote, which made the rumors that he had incentivized her to stay in the race to make my life hell and to tear a party apart seem kind of feasible. Anyway, our comms directors had spoken and arranged for me to call at a specific time to concede after we knew the election would be over. He didn't answer the phone when I was supposed to call, so of course I left a message congratulating him, but given the coordination that had been discussed, we were all a little shocked and it seemed intentional. Even more surprising, he didn't call me back that night. If you know election etiquette, that's just unacceptable. Looks like it was just Jared being Jared based on how he handled his Board of Education race back with Ben Alexander. Same with Monty. In 2008, Polis spent $6 million of his own money to win a congressional seat in Boulder, mainly in the primary. He spent $25 million in his first governor's race, $10 million in the primary, and approximately $33 million in the recent re-election bid against me including helping prop up my opponent, Greg Lopez, in the Republican primary with $3 million in ads to help beat me. An influential Colorado Democrat said Polis's success formula is simple. He's bought every seat he's ever had. Politico in 2014 said Polis's evolution from over-eager wonder kind to political power broker is a long story. It is the story of a shrewd visionary who's always in a hurry, a progressive pit bull in a polo shirt who's got too much self-confidence and too little self-awareness. A multimillionaire who's bought his way in but wants big money out of politics. That is so ironic, considering he's the primary offender for putting money back into Colorado politics. Polis is part of the four billionaires, or I think he's almost a billionaire, that implemented the blueprint and flipped Colorado's state legislature from red to blue in 2004. They put millions into ads taking out Republican opponents and recruiting Democrats to run, and run they did to dominance over two decades. We're going to tackle that in the next episode. His determination to push forward with initiatives despite opposition and pressure from various quarters, it highlights his unwavering commitment to getting what he wants. Polis's wealth and political position have undoubtedly afforded him certain advantages, but they also come with heightened scrutiny and challenges. Critics point to his self-confidence and lack of self-awareness as potential stumbling blocks to his aspirations. And boy, did I see that firsthand on the campaign trail with him. Oh, he was arrogant. His own party's seen it too. Take his first run for governor in 2018. Bear with me. This is a good story to expose kind of how he operates. In a surprising turn of events, Jared entered the race, the governor's race in 18, despite early indications that he would stay out of the way. The move caught his competitor, Ed Perlmutter, a beloved Democrat congressman who was a popular pick to run for governor, off guard, as he had believed that Polis would not enter the primary. Polis's decision, driven partly by his own ambition and confidence, significantly impacted the race dynamics, particularly in terms of campaign financing. Before announcing his candidacy, Polis had a conversation with Ed Perlmutter. 
during which he informed him of his intentions. Now, this is according to a different article I read. According to three sources familiar with the exchange, Polis assured Perlmutter that he would not compete in the primary. Perlmutter, relying on Polis's experience and formidable financial resources, considered this assurance crucial to his decision to enter the race. However, in the weeks following Perlmutter's announcement, Polis began contemplating joining the race himself. This change of heart surprised even his closest aides, who had never seriously discussed a gubernatorial bid with him. Polis's impulsive decision was fueled by his belief that he shouldn't let Perlmutter have the opportunity uncontested. It wasn't fair. Polis's entry into the race immediately altered the landscape. His substantial personal wealth, utilized to fund his own previous campaigns, put considerable pressure on Perlmutter and the other Democratic candidates, including Mike Johnson, who just got elected mayor of Denver, Kerry Kennedy, and Noel Ginsburg. Polis set a new record by spending $10 million of his own money on that primary alone, outmatching his previous self-funding efforts. This infusion of unprecedented personal funds sparked concerns about the influence of money in politics, with critics suggesting that the governor's mansion was seemingly for sale. Under the weight of Polis's financial advantage and the altered dynamics, Perlmutter ultimately withdrew from the race less than a month after Polis's announcement. The unexpected twist of Polis's late entry and his substantial financial resources reshaped the governor's race primary on the Democrat side, creating a formidable challenge for his Democrat competitors and ultimately deciding the outcome of not just that primary, but the future of Colorado. Another Democrat, Chris Romer, the son of former Governor Roy Romer and a previous state legislator, said at one point about Polis that a humiliating defeat is just what the congressman needs. He needs to hit the pavement hard a couple of times and come up with road rash. It makes you more patient, more pragmatic. I'm sure Polis does not see it that way, at least not yet. His money keeps fueling fake wins. Perhaps a presidential run will tee up that humbling moment like it did for Michael Bennett and John Hickenlooper. And then there are some very wealthy and powerful folks who've been working towards that goal, that moment, that presidential race. Jared went through the World Economic Forum Global Young Leaders Program a few years back, along with other notable globalist presidential and dictator wannabes. Gavin Newsom, Buttigieg, Zuckerberg, Alexander Soros, even Macon Rapinoe, and our own Jenna Griswold. Their agenda dovetails nicely with what Jared has done to Colorado intentionally, be it his own Green New Deal, a lawless, chaotic approach to crime and homelessness, socialized health care, abortion, trans tourism, and growing the size of government tremendously to take away our freedoms. Polis gave us a preview of what he would do as governor when he was in Congress, supporting Obamacare, gun control, every bill pushed by Planned Parenthood in the ACLU. Polis had invested millions in the oil and gas industry before destroying the industry here in Colorado. And up to $35 million he invested in Bridge International, a company that arranges surgeries abroad for American patients, including China. That's where his China connections started, I suppose. He's always been a champion for the pot industry, even pushing against THC limits, reasonable limits that could save our children from the damage of intense forms of pots. Jared Polis's conduct as governor has been equally as damaging, potentially surpassing that of any recent politician. Despite presenting himself as a libertarian, Polis's actions indicate a lack of honesty or even a disconnect from reality. 
While he claims to be a champion for freedom, his support appears to be limited to specific social issues such as abortion, transgenderism, and his own re-election. He purports to advocate for pro-liberty causes like crypto, cannabis, food freedom, and the elimination of income tax. Ooh, wasn't that another governor's candidate idea? However, with closer examination, his policy positions and his authoritarian measures encroach upon the freedoms of the people of Colorado. Regardless of whether you value breathing clean air, exercising your Second Amendment rights, practicing your religion, consuming tobacco or cannabis, or pursuing entrepreneurial ventures, farming, or ranching, Jared's wielded his political power against your interest. Let's take a look at some examples of Polis's destructive behavior. In 2020, an investigation by the Colorado Sun uncovered that his office had been soliciting special interest money to fill his cabinet with special advisors. These advisors were funded by politically connected groups, raising concerns about the influence of these entities on state governance. The article provided a list of other special advisors who were similarly funded. This practice of bringing in special advisors raised questions about the extent to which Jared Polis was aligning with the Washington, D.C. establishment and prioritizing the interests of wealthy special interests over the people of Colorado. Additionally, it was revealed that Polis had meetings with tobacco company Altria, seeking their support for tax increases that would negatively impact their competitors. A pro-tax lobbyist even acknowledged that this collaboration with Altria provided them with a distinct competitive advantage. The tobacco lobby had significant control over the drafting of this tax bill, shaping it to their advantage. This doesn't sound very libertarian to me. These actions by Polis seem to contradict his many promises about freedom. An Independence Institute's report further revealed that Polis had expanded special interest tax benefits by approximately $640 million over 10 years. That's not what he committed to do. The alignment with special interests and the prioritizing of deep-pocketed entities over the people of Colorado indicates a big departure from serving the public interest. Another example of this was when Colorado's coronavirus testing program pushed out flawed tests into nursing homes, killing thousands from a startup company run by a 25-year-old college dropout that had the backing of a major Polis campaign donor with a high-dollar stake in the firm and a tie to the Polis administration. His reign of destruction on our state happened in other ways, too. During the COVID crisis, Jared Polis imposed restrictions on Colorado churches all over our state, attempting to limit attendance and require face coverings. This was in contrast to big box retail stores and pot shops that remained open with hundreds of customers. However, Colorado churches fought back and won a lawsuit against Polis's measures, arguing that they faced stricter capacity limits compared to other businesses with similar risks. Eventually, Polis dropped all the mandates against churches after the Supreme Court ruled in favor of churches in New York, but only after that. Polis's actions in the cannabis industry also came under scrutiny. While he claims to support legal cannabis in Colorado, his signing of HB 21-1317 into law had detrimental effects on the medical cannabis community. These examples highlight the dishonesty of Jared Polis as he portrays himself as a friend of both religious freedom and the cannabis industry and personal freedom overall. However, the reality of his actions contradicted his claims, with Colorado churches in the medical cannabis community experiencing negative consequences under his leadership, just to name a few. There's so many examples. Polis and his cohorts in the state legislature have been involved in deciding what products individuals 
are allowed to consume here in Colorado. Polis even encouraged private vaccination without parental or spousal knowledge during COVID, prioritizing big pharma over Colorado families. In 2021, Polis mandated that all healthcare workers receive a COVID injection or face termination. He streamlined the process for firing state employees who refused the vaccine. Polis also imposed restrictions on alcohol service after 10 p.m. at restaurants and enforced business closures during the COVID pandemic, which affected the livelihoods of so many. Furthermore, Jared's gun control efforts in Boulder County and other areas have led to restrictions and criminal charges for law-abiding gun owners. Polis's treatment of rural Colorado has been contentious as well. He shut down a rodeo promoter in Weld County and made decisions that alienated the whole food producing industry here. Some of his appointees, like Ellen Kessler and Rebecca Nemec, who held anti-ag viewpoints, further exacerbated tensions within the rural communities. Throughout the COVID crisis, Polis used terms like stupid and selfish bastards to folks who were not complying with his rigid rules. These actions and policies raise questions about Polis's commitments to individual liberties and personal freedom. Clearly, Polis has not been a force for liberty in Colorado. That is laughable. John Caldera, a friend and head of the Independence Institute, put it best when he denounced Polis's claim to libertarianism, lamenting that a guy who dictates what container you can use to bring your food home from the restaurant, who taxes your Uber ride, wants to outlaw your gas kitchen stove and water heater, who crushes the oil and gas ranching and ag industries, who signs on to California's nutty emission standards, who raise taxes by billions without voter approval by calling them fees, whose appointees want to force private employers to keep databases on how their employees commute and punish them if they drive a car, who raise gas taxes, who is allowing local government workers to unionize, well, that's not a guy who wants to leave you alone. Now, if only Jared would leave us alone, and certainly not impose his radical ideas onto our country after doing so much damage to Colorado. My aim is to keep exposing the truth and the lies about him and others like him who are trying to fundamentally change our country for the worse. And we are not going to let him get near other red or purple states if I have anything to do with it, or the White House. In the next episode, we're going to take a closer look at the Democrat machine Polis and his gang of four funded here, the infamous blueprint. Thank you. Join us next time.